1: This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast. I'm here with my co-host Frank Santo Padre. We're here at the Chilla Theater Expo, and our guest this week is a musician, songwriter, actor producer, novelist, and businessman who also happens to be a member of the legendary and iconic rock band known as the Monkees. He's written hit songs that have been recorded by everyone from Linda Ronstadt to Run DMC. He's also a film producer with credits like Re- Re- Rep- Repo Man and Tapeheads, starring John Cusack and Tim Robbins. And if all that wasn't enough... He also practically invented music videos, developing a format that would eventually become MTV. And most importantly, we hugged in the elevator. And I still have an erection. Please welcome the multi-talented Michael Nesmith.
2: What do you think of my cologne? (laughs)
1: <laughs> that was good, huh? That's
2: loucheron.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't wash after no, that. No, yes. I wouldn't. I mean, yeah. it's expensive. It smells great, doesn't it?
2: <laughs> Just in case you wondered where the erection came from. <laughs> it came
1: from the cologne. <laughs> Not me. Don't put yourself down. I... <laughs> uh. Now, I remember uh, sitting next to you on a plane. Yeah? Yes, and and... I was flying out to LA to audition for some movie that I didn't get, which was fine. Uh-huh, because I, I remember I was reading the script and you said to me, you said, Oh, what are you reading? And I said, Oh, it's the some John Travolta comedy. Uh oh. <laughs> called the experts. And,
0: oh, I remember that. Yes. That's where he met his wife on that oh, film. Oh, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah.
1: And and uh it's uh, it's about two young hip Americans who get kidnapped by Russian spies to teach them how to act like young hip Americans. <laughs> and you uh being a fortune teller said, "Oh, that sounds like a piece of shit." <laughs> That
2: sounds like something I would have said.
1: uh, Yeah, and you are absolutely correct. I
0: saw the movie.
1: Now,
2: where, were we, where were we going? What? Oh, uh, we going to, to, to L.A., LA. Yeah, yes. Okay. Yeah.
0: Now, Michael and I spoke earlier, Gilbert, about you auditioning for one of Michael's shows called Television Parts, which was which was an offshoot of, of Elephant Parts, but you have no recollection. Michael remembers you, but you have no recollection yes. of auditioning for him. Uh,
1: but I didn't get that part. No. Can I say fuck you right now? <laughs> <Okay>.
0: <laughs> yes. it, had it been my call, you could say that. You actually could say it
2: anyway, but yes. it wasn't my call. It was no. – uh, the the writers uh, and producers were uh, John Levenstein and uh, Michael Kaplan and Jack Handy and and they they're the ones at eighty six Gilbert. Oh. Yeah, they're they're the ones that trashed your career.
0: <laughs> they took you down. Jack and Handy of, of Deep Thoughts time. fame. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I've asked him over and over, why not Gilbert? Why not Gilbert? And they just all go really silent. The room gets dark. They look at each other guiltily. <laughs> There's a faint light of fire somewhere off in the corner, and then the subject passes and no one says a thing.
1: And and now I have to bring up that that piece of trivia that everyone feels like they're telling people that they don't know. Okay. Well, let's guess
2: before yeah. you tell me. Okay. Okay. First of all, can I have 20 questions or do I can <laughs> – do, do should <laughs> have that kind of time. Up? Okay. Is it um, – does it have anything to do with typewriter correction fluid?
1: Hmm. Let's see. <laughs> ding, 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 <laughs> ding, 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 den, damn, <laughs> <Okay>. ding, ding, dun, 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 ding. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Oh, does, I okay. think so. <laughs>
2: uh, next question. Uh, does it have anything to do with? Uh, hmm, I don't know,
1: like a, like a parent, like, uh, hmm. uh, like something? Uh, a, like a female. A female? Could we say female you parent? Say Female parent. Yeah. Yes. Yes. yes, yes, yes okay. I'll guess female parent.
2: Gosh, Gilbert, I don't know. I guess I'm gonna to have to pass on this. <laughs> I don't have a clue what it might be. Let's see my mother invented liquid paper, but that wouldn't that would not be it.
1: Now now see here's something really odd, because I mean she made a lot of money off that, I'm Miriam's. sure. Did she, she sell it did. to yeah. Gillette ultimately? Yeah. 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 And and it's like now. I I don't know that people would know what liquid paper is because everything. Well, it's
2: it's you know we can get serious for like oh, okay. thirty <laughs> five seconds the uh, and it's and it's true yeah. the the uh, computer and the printer and everything <laughs> you know the joke is uh, the technician going in and seeing people you know, taking liquid paper and wiping stuff off of their TV screen you know oh, yeah. <laughs> trying to take it out of the printer and so forth. But that joke aside, which is a rotten joke, the, uh, <laughs> the, the idea that uh, the computer was uh, going to make that product obsolete was true. But my mother saw that, and she was uh, she, she was she was ready for it, and she knew that once the paper's out of the typewriter, once you're into graphic design and so forth, when you're doing some hard hand layout layout and stuff, that's when you need a correction fluid, something you can paint on. So she was all ready for that, but she died. 1980 she died and she was on her way to wherever the next plane of existence is and uh, so far she has not written. But the uh, (laughs) idea that she had would have perpetuated itself but the idea that had made her a millionaire uh, sort of came to a stop in the early 80s, something like that. Maybe maybe the 90s and it still sells a little bit. You know what I'm saying? I mean it's not like it's gone but it's not – at one point, she had 95% of the correction fluid market in America. Wow. Yeah.
0: She basically invented that business.
2: She was a terrific, interesting woman.
0: Loved her so much. She was a secretary. I mean, that's how she came up with the idea. More I mean, or less, She was actually yeah. using it.
2: Yeah. she was. She was a part-time secretary. Mm-hmm. What she really was was an artist and a graphics designer. I see. And that was where her heart was, and that's who she was as a person, as a human being. And in graphics design, during those days, you laid out stuff. You know, you cut it with a razor blade and you taped it onto a board and you got – you sent the the text to the printer to get back the typeset and so forth. It was a very arduous and long and involved process. And when you laid up the board in order to take it in and have it photographed to make it into something you could print, you had to use something to uh, make the seams and the cuts and the Everything else disappear, and typically that was paint. Well, when the electric typewriter came along, she was working as an office secretary, and she but she was doing those big, you know, how your hands go up and down and go bang, 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 bang on the typewriter, and then suddenly the electric typewriter comes in. Your hands go flat on the keyboards, and you type like we do now, which is well, transitioning from that, she made all kinds of mistakes, and the problem was is that unlike the big bang, bang, bang typewriters, you couldn't erase them. You couldn't rub it off of the paper because it was carbon paper ribbon. So she thought, well, I'm painting it out And as a graphics designer. This is graphics design. I'll just paint it out on the paper. So she came up with it. She worked on the formula. She did the chemical uh, stuff of it. And then she had what was basically the genius idea. She thought, okay, I'm the secretary in the office environment. And at that time, secretaries were like 97% of of that workforce were women female. And I control the dollar buy. I can go down to the office supply store. I can buy something for a dollar. My boss doesn't say anything to me about it. I can buy an eraser. I can buy a wax pencil. Whatever I need to buy for my work. So, and, and, and I don't have to go through purchasing. And I don't have to go through anything like that. So if I make a bottle of paint that sells for like a dollar, I can make that paint <clears throat> really inexpensively. I'll come up with a chemical formula that makes it dry fast sink into the paper and so forth, and I'll sell it and I'll put it in a fingernail polish bottle and I'll sell it to the woman and sell it like an office cosmetic. Now, we as men don't immediately understand this, but if you look around just for a moment, you'll see people who do immediately understand it. And so it's like, yes, she marketed it as a feminine thing, That was – had its femininity about it. That would fit in a desk drawer where somebody kept anything else that they had to use like those. And where did she decide to advertise it? Well, she took the bus bus to work every day. So she took signs up on the bus and as it worked out later in the subway. And it was that appeal – To the woman and to the women instincts, and she was a lovely woman herself. I mean, physically lovely, but also a lovely thinker. And she, you know, they just flocked to it, and they supported her. So (laughs) her first thing she did was go out and hire a bunch of men (laughs) to run the (laughs) company. Well, no, that's I'm I'm being funny. She didn't actually do that first. Her first employees were women, and she had a a a real love for that. Her corporate secretary was a woman and, and her assistants were all women. But when she was uh, – it was hard to find people who could do jobs like distribution and so forth at that time. It just wasn't a big workforce of women. And so she did end up with a staff of, uh, of high-powered execs. And with her, she turned it into an international multimillion-dollar corporation with plants in Brussels, Toronto, Sydney, and uh, Dallas.
0: It's very impressive. They're very from, from impressive. a small, simple
2: idea. Just well, and yeah. and you see how the idea worked. It yeah. was just two, two independent ideas that she connected the dots. I, I you know, she uh, she was a real inspiration to
1: me too. And and I understand you were in a band once. <laughs> <laughs> no, nobody ever asked about that. <laughs> well, Gilbert,
2: and I was sp- the first I've actually heard of it. <laughs> okay, so is this band? <laughs> oh no. Would this band have been named after an animal?
1: Ah, uh, let me see. Like, say, a primate, or yeah. maybe an insect. Not an insect. Not, no, so I that wouldn't have, an that
2: have been. That wouldn't have been a yeah. really famous yeah. English band. Like, it, it.
1: would this be a, a hairy animal?
2: Oh, a hairy animal. Yeah. Okay, so like that that eliminates hippos.
3: <laughs> uh,
2: I don't know. What do we have? We what? have. Uh,
1: Okay, so you were in the monkeys. Okay, yeah. so sure I was. All right, see, you See, I guess that one. <laughs> and now we were talking about how you actually got that part. How did?
0: Oh, you were the only one of the four guys to see the actual ad in Variety? Isn't that I true? Was? Yeah, that's, that's what Mickey told us. I may that have somebody seen it, but it to you?
2: Did, yeah, somebody brought it to me. Well, yeah. that's that's a distinction I make. Uh, um, there was a guy name, uh, working at the publishing company I was working at as a singer songwriter, as a and, and a member of a band there named um, uh, Barry Friedman. His name was the Reverend Fraser Mohawk in the Acid World, and. Uh, and he came in and he said, Hey man, you should go down for this. This is this looks cool. Show up. They're having open auditions. So yeah, that was the ad that I saw.
0: The one that asked for Ben Frank's types? Yeah, you know yeah. what that means? Yeah, cuz well I lived in LA. And oh, I well, remember you know. I remember Ben Frank. Is anybody listening
1: to this show? <laughs> listen to Ben Franks? Oh, that's that that uh,
0: diner. Yeah, it was it well it was yeah. a, it was in those days it was a, a hangout for what, yeah. what did you say guys with granny glasses?
2: Yeah, yeah. guys with granny glasses after 4 a.m.
0: Right. Between oh 4 yeah, a yeah. A right. Right, yeah, right. 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 The ad if I had the ad right it was insane young men with what Ben Frank's types something of that.
2: Yeah, yeah, I forgot. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Now, do you remember what you did for the
0: audition? Well, it's on film. Yeah,
1: unfortunately, oh, Oh, you can see it. You can see
2: it
0: on YouTube. (laughs) Yeah. Did you bring your laundry? That's something that I read that you had a. Mm, That that can't be true. I
2: died on. You know. Lore builds up around these things, and
0: it it hangs on to them like bugs on a windshield.
1: Can Can you just tell them you did bring your laundry? It (laughs) makes it a funnier story.
2: Okay, I brought my laundry. Oh, that's what I heard. Yeah, and (laughs) in the laundry were was things
0: that uh, uh, I can't remember. (laughs) We we should say that you can you can see the audition on YouTube. I I did, and it's bizarre. Yeah, you're going through dresser drawers at one point, and you're just kind of you're riffing. Yeah.
1: And and they, I think they said to you at that point uh, that they liked the hat.
0: Yep. Yeah, I was wearing a,
2: a wool hat that uh, had to do with riding a motorcycle around, keep the hair out of my eyes. No helmet laws at the time, and so they didn't know who the people were that auditioned, and I became Wool Hat. <laughs> Mickey and Peter still call me Wool Hat. <laughs> right.
0: Wasn't your screen test used to help the, sell the show? <clears throat> That's well, the, I- the
2: the show was. Um, I'm actually in the process of writing all this up uh-huh. and so um, it's a long story. But the kind of short story of it is the show was um, conceived by uh, a couple of guys out of New York, Birch Schneider and Bob Ravelson and they hired a team of really great screenwriters, Larry Tucker and Paul Masursky, to write up the pilot for them and the instruction was make it kind of like Hard Day's Night. Uh, meets the Marx Brothers. Uh, And so that was the basis. That was the script that existed when I came in there. Uh, Then Bert and uh, uh, Bob tweaked it a little bit to get music in there, and there was a lot of other kinds of things that were going on. But the bottom line was that when we did the pilot, which we shot down in uh, San Diego – and brought it up. They edited it all together and they sent it to New York. It was rejected. Mm-hmm. The network said nope. And, the, and Columbia Screen Gems, which is the mother company, said nope. And it was harsh because Bert Schneider's father owned mostly That's right. Columbia. He That's was right. a very you – know, he was high up. He was in the inner circles, prince of the court. And uh, <clears throat> so they came back and they said, well, we're dead in the water. No show. No series. Go home. Now, whoever you happen to talk to at this point about what happened at this point takes credit for putting the screen tests on the front of the, of the show and because they all say, I came up with the idea for putting the screen tests on the front of the show and that's when the show sold. I see. So it's one of the thousand fathers of victory and it's a, a – it, it is not my screen test that made the show sell Although that's what happened. That was a sequence of events. What happened was this. The screenplay, instead of it being uh, ironic and funny, it became sardonic and angry. It was – it mocked. And so the four main characters were Assholes. They were just jerks. Nobody liked them. Nobody wanted to be around them or anything. They were written into the screenplay so that they were in everybody's face and everybody's hair, and it was just a uh, a, uh, a very unpleasant kind of thing, and it never got funny. When they put Davies, uh, uh interview, and uh, I stopped trying to think if uh, Mickey and Peters was on there. I don't think so, and they put my screen test on it. Uh, that changed, and they put it right at the very first, and said, "And those are meet the monkeys, and you'll never know where they show up next." And now, then, it became madcap, and kind of easygoing, and so when we were uh, making fun of something or uh, poking fun at it, it it was uh, it was gentle, and it was not uh, angry. It was uh, it was just uh, kids fooling around and having fun, and it was an out of work rock band nice conceit, trying to make a living in a world of uh, a high power rock and roll that was starting to make a giant name for itself. Another very nice conceit. So the kids were not stars. The kids were not being made by the movie machine. The, kid was, the kids were just kids and they had this this uh, quality about them that had been introduced in the real documentary footage of the what is essentially a screen test. But the way you phrased the question was, did your screen test when you put right, it in the front? Right, make right, right,
0: right. It's, it's a little more convoluted than that. It's more
2: convoluted and sure. more complex, and it's more subtle than that. I mean, there wasn't – as far as I could tell, going back over, there was no – nobody pulled a trigger. Everybody just got that telephone, made it stop ringing, and,
3: <laughs> and <laughs> he's, handed he's it He's ad-libbing. It. yes. yes. <laughs>
0: well even even the origin of the show I mean there's Mickey told us that that Rafelson who was a, a, a roadie had was was working on an idea about a band even before Hard Days Night. The con, 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 the 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 common knowledge about it is that it was Hard Days Night that inspired it. There's so many different versions of the uh of where the show came from where well, the idea yeah, came from. Yeah.
2: Well it didn't come from me, right. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. I showed up. I was an actor looking for work. I, a songwriter looking for work, and and they said you got the job, and I said hallelujah. So that was fine.
3: Here we come, walking down the street. We get the funniest looks from everyone we meet.
1: No. As
2: far as I
0: know <laughs> well you were you were already in uh, working in LA you were in the troubadour you were were hosting I was doing
2: I was doing a the troupe. I was doing yeah. a, hosting the hoots at the, the troube you were a
0: hootmaster do I have that correct you do yeah
2: and uh, and I enjoyed I, I enjoyed doing that and, and I, I thought I'd been hired to be in a band and, but when I found out that I was hired to play a part of a band member, that was a kind of a curveball, but I was on for it. I mean I, it sounded like you know it'd be a good time and i didn't I don't have a sense of the genesis of the idea at all. uh uh-huh. I, like I say, at the time when it took off and it became this this big hit in the first year, uh, it never became a big hit, but when it got highly visible, uh I was um, uh, not sure how that had happened. I didn't see. I couldn't trace anything to a, a big red button. I didn't see. You know, I didn't know what the magic was, and frankly, still don't. I mean, it just it just missed me. Just,
0: there was you know, no noticeable tipping point for you.
2: No, where it not just kind yeah. of. No. And by that time, I was just I was up to my eyeballs in uh, in uh, Dylanisms and folk songs and so forth, and crazy for the Beatles and right. so forth. Right. I didn't I didn't understand the that that genre of music or whatever they were they were planning to do but i don't think they were making i don't think anybody made it up before hard day's night or at the beatles or any of
1: that stuff but i don't know that's the real answer i don't know and the monkeys actually became friends with the beatles
2: yeah later on you know we all did i mean the minute i got any money i i got on an airplane and took phyllis my wife and said let's go let's go to england and see what is going on over there i went over there basically because it was the center it was the capital of the world I mean London in the 60s was like Paris in the 20s and everything was coming out of there. There was new design. There was new art. There was new fashion. There was new architecture. There was new music. There was new literature. I mean it was just an amazing place and so I thought, well, I got to go there. And if by the way, I get a chance to meet any of the Beatles, good on me. So when I did, when I got over there, I reached out and was able to get over to – hang out a little bit with John and we became friends friend Lee and um, but it was it was a it was a remarkable time i i haven't seen anything like it since then i mean maybe maybe the internet in 84 in silicon valley now you know the northwest intellectual corridor that's a whole thing i mean people you say intellectual corridor northwest no wait a minute that's the wrong coast <laughs> no not anymore kids it's silicon valley that's where it is Silicon Valley in distinction to London in the 60s doesn't have an art culture right now it's, you know it's art less it's it's a tool kit that they're building up there London in the 60s on the other hand was about love is all you need it was about uh, you know these extraordinary ideas manifesting in the sculpture and art architecture and so forth and i sort of became friends with the beatles but Lenin was—he uh, was politically different than I was. I'm—I'm a—I'm a liberal in, in just in politically uh, to to state it. I'm a liberal socially and emotionally and so forth, meaning that I'm you know I'm for enough regulations so that nobody starves. Uh, Lenin was a, a radical. He was a revolutionary in his own way. He was a remarkable thinker, and I loved the guy. I mean, he was just a terrific person. And I loved hanging out with him, but he was a, uh, you know, for him, love was a politics, and it was a power. It was a force in the political system, a force in uh, community, a force in government, and uh, that you you had to uh, practice it along those lines. Uh, I tended away from that. I tended to think. Uh, more spiritually about those things and so we didn't connect on that level although we did become friends i mean I, I liked him quite a bit and i guess he me because we always checked in with each other when he was around you know i call up and say you here and he'd say yeah come stay that was one of the great things he taught me was the, the English habit of saying, come over and stay for the weekend. Like, really? Okay. I'll be right
0: there. And he got the joke of what the monkeys were. I mean, Mickey was telling us that he, he knew it was the recognize it as a Marx Brothers thing.
2: Well, he may right have. Mick, I, I, know, yeah. I know Mick thinks this, and, I'm, and I, I think he may have. I don't, I don't know. I, I, he never said it to me.
0: Uh-huh. Didn't they throw s- a party for you guys, though, in England,
2: uh, in London,
0: the Beatles? Do I have bad information?
2: No, I think, well, the, the big party that we hit, it's when we went over there as a band to play, uh, they were doing The Day in the Life. And they did have a big party for that, but it wasn't for us. It was for everybody in
1: London. Well, I mean, there's thousands of people. Say it was for you. Okay. And that you brought your laundry to the party. Okay. See, it makes it a much better story.
2: Okay, so hold on a minute. Yeah, they uh, they threw a party for me. Yeah. They threw a party. Actually, it was for me personally, and they asked if I would bring my laundry. And I said, John, I don't know that that's dirty anymore. He said, no, Just bring whatever you got. Well,
0: there's a
1: story about online a about soup.
0: you bringing your la- a bag of your laundry to the Beatles audition, and that you were—excuse me—to uh, to the monkeys audition. And,
1: and if I'm not— Well, if
0: it's online, it's true. Well, okay, uh, there you go. Yeah.
1: If I'm not mistaken, you wash your laundry in uh, liquid paper. Uh, that part I never read. Yeah. but
2: I'll give that a try. <laughs>
0: Whites have never been whiter. Well, you were present for uh, some of the recording of Day in the Life. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. We were there for the big session, and and I was. I actually stayed uh, with uh, John during a, a big port at that time, and he was bringing home acetates from the studio and so forth. And that was great to listen to him in his company. But you know, the, the Beatles. See, here is what people don't understand when I talk to them about London in the sixties. There was a. Out in the world, and specifically in America, were the winds of a hurricane. And they were force five, force six, they were mega force winds that were happening from the center of the hurricane, which was London. So you come out of the hurricane and you move to London, and it's dead still. It's calm. And so. What happens is not, oh, boy, this is going to be so great. We're going to be clubbing. We're going to be dancing. We're going to be saying things that are so witty and funny. They will live forever, and it will be just the best time. None of that happened. It was like, yeah, come. We'll have dinner. We'll tell a couple of jokes. We'll have a conversation. Maybe we'll talk about, I don't know, politics or where the waiter is from, and we'll have that's, – that's that's the only thing it will uh, – that will do, and that's the way it was. There was a laid-back. I, I I have learned to call it easy speed, and I learned it from racing. <clears throat> it's these guys that go monumentally, colossally fast, but they look like they're doing nothing. You know, you've seen great stand-up like that. You've seen great acting like that. You've seen great art like that. It's like, how the fuck are they doing this? And because it looks so natural and so easy, that's what was going on in the center, and. The Beatles were a big part of that, but so were a half a dozen other bands. And it was in an environment where the art world and all of design and all of those things that were coming together, fashion, and sculpture, we just talked about, had the same kind of easygoing, yeah, let's try this and you try and you go, "Holy smokes, what is that?" and what that happened to be was something like a, you know, a new Beatles album or a new Stones record and so forth. So it was a it was a gestalt, if I can say that without getting shot. You may. And, mm-hmm. and, and it was a feel zeitgeist. I know what it means. It was a zeitgeist. <laughs> it's,
1: a, it's a Yiddish
2: word. Yeah, it's a food. <laughs> it's a It's a dish. It's a Yiddish yeah, dish.
1: It's a Yiddish holiday. <laughs> I, I have to leave early today. It's gestalt.
2: <laughs> what are you getting for gestalt this year? <laughs> 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 I'm now, getting a watch. <laughs> They have to tell you, you know, in Gestalt. They oh, have yes. to tell you what you're getting. You just ask them. You make them. It's a little it's like, like Gestalt. Colossal. You have to tell me. Yeah. It's a little
0: like Colossal,
2: guilt. Yes.
1: <laughs> now, I heard that at one point with the monkeys, I think Davy Jones said it, that he found out that his manager was also like one of the producers of the show. <laughs> and, and and he thought, that's a good time to get rid of this manager. <laughs> well, I,
2: you know, the the, the the four of us never became more than professionally close. Yeah. I mean, we, I, I didn't know what was going on in David's yeah. affairs, nor he in mine. And so we just stayed clear of that for the most part. So, yes, that's all true. manager became producer, and Davey really said that, and I don't have any idea what I'm talking about.
0: <laughs> what were the days like mike i mean you 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 get the you get the part you pass the audition your life changes you guys are shooting 12 hours a day i mean it was an insane time yeah even though you don't kind of remember that that moment where everything exploded you had had acting in your past you had you had acted in high school so yeah you just i just mean, saw it as I an acting of,
2: role uh, more or, or less yeah, yeah yeah i mean it was I was so naive that I did not know most of the time what was going on. Not – not um, not naive is ignorant other than just being unaware can be ignorant. So I didn't know how the show was put together. I didn't know how it was written. I didn't know where it came from. I didn't know what the point was. I didn't know how a TV show was produced. I didn't, none of those things. I had shown up to uh, sing songs and write and maybe do – well, I – Schneider was very, um, you know, he, he was approbative and, and caring, and he helped uh, me uh, along, but he was clear, no, you don't need to do that. That's all departmentalized. Uh, you know, we have writers for the show, and so I'll, I'll go to the writers' meeting. Well, I went to the writers' meeting one time and wrote, oh, I don't belong here. You know, these guys are heavyweights. Mm-hmm. You know, they walk. it's like going out to play golf with somebody, and the first guy up hits a 425-yard drive. You just club back in your bag and go back and drink at the clubhouse you don't play with that guy and the same thing happened in the uh in the writer's room you know these guys were going pow 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 like that and then the same thing started happening in the music side of it oh well tommy and bobby are going to do this and there's a kirsten out of the brill building and these are all pros you know they can these guys can really play and they can really – you don't need to do a thing. Voice and heart. Yeah, voice right. and heart, right. and those guys. Right. And so I was, well, I'll go to the sessions. I'll see what's going on. you go, like, oh, wait, these guys really can play. I <laughs> think, no, I'll just sit this one out and you move to the back. And, and by the time I would taken my taste of all of that stuff, I got to a point where I was, oh, I, don't, I should not be doing a whole lot other than just acting and, and what they asked me to do. So that's, I settled into that role.
1: And and who were some of the writers who wrote the uh, monkey songs? I don't I don't remember any of them, uh, <laughs> and,
2: except for Larry Tucker and Paul Mazursky. And of course, Paul distinguished himself as a director and, and a writer on in, in his later career. But um, <clears throat> and if I started telling you the people that I do remember, they would be people that never as far as I know, never went on to do anything.
0: Was D. Caruso a writer on the monkey show? He was. Show? There's a name. Yeah. 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 Wrote, for, wrote a lot for Get Smart. Yeah. Funny writer. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, see, you know more than I.
0: Well, i just <laughs> comedy writer nerd.
1: We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast after this. Tell us about the film Head. Yeah.
2: Uh, okay. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's a conversation Ooh, stopper, yeah, that'll suck the air out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> well the, after the there was a there was a thing that set in i i my trope for it is celebrity psychosis, and it sets in to everybody who gets a little bit of recognition and, he, and I mean the first thing that Bert Schneider did, one of the first things Bert Schneider did, who was the producer of the show. He would have us watch movies, and he sent me over to watch um, The uh, uh, Face in the Crowd. <laughs> and this was a story of uh, you know, a bumpkin who was played by Andy Griffith who comes to uh, Hollywood and turns into a giant star and turns into a screaming, flaming monster. And I thought, gosh, I wonder why he's showing me this. I, I don't know. I have any, no way of connecting with this. I don't know what he's talking about. Well, slowly that was the morph I started to get, go into and I started to watch people around me. I thought, gee, I never noticed you had a leg growing out of the middle of your back. What is that? What does that do? Is that a thing here? I don't know. Oh, you don't have the leg in your back? Yeah, go over and see Ashman in wardrobe. Everybody here has got a leg in their back. So you, you go and you do that. But it's an appendage that is, you know, doesn't work. And I call it celebrity psychosis because it is kind of a pathology. It's not really a pathology and it's not really a psychosis. But that's what I call it because, you know, it's a thing that makes uh, news anchors think they can park anywhere they want to. You know, this is a fire lane. People get killed. Don't you know I'm
0: on television? Or make up the news. Yeah.
2: Or make – don't you know I make up the (laughs) news? I'll make up where I'm parking. So that set in – and slowly the thing morphed. The thing being the television show, but everything morphed. The writers morphed, the the songwriters and, and the uh, and the producers morphed. The distribution system, the whole thing started to take on this very odd dynamic. And I couldn't put my finger on it then. I can now, and I can talk about it, and I'm writing about it. But the um, the bottom line was that as this started to happen. There was this this weird thing and <clears> – <throat> Bert. I, I mean in the middle of all this, I was just smitten with the production team. And the production team at the time had come together and it sort of consisted of Bob Rafelson, Bert Schneider, and Jack Nicholson. Now, Nicholson wasn't a hands-on producer but the minute I laid eyes on Jack, I thought, boy, this is a – this is a first-rate guy, and I thought the same thing of Bert and Bob. And this was a, this was a team I wanted to play on. I thought I want to be on this team on it, but not But it wasn't the team that wanted me to play on it. Interesting. They didn't want me around. They didn't like me anywhere near as much as I liked them. So it made it. You know, they made it pretty clear pretty quick. Like, yeah, that's cute. Why don't you go do that over there? And <clears throat> I was not in that inner circle, so I couldn't see. But I did see something hatch. And what hatched was a feeling that Bob wanted to direct and Hopper and Fonda had kind of co- coalesced into the inner circles. And, and, and I was friends with Hopper because we would go riding motorcycles and and he and every time we would go ride motorcycles, he would tell me the story of Easy Rider. And I want to do this movie and it's about these cowboys and they accept your motorcycles and, and over and over and over again. He came in with Hopper and they pitched this idea to Bert and Bob. And Bob thought – Bob, as far as I could tell, really wanted to direct movies. That's what – that was his thing. He wanted to do that. So this dynamic again morphed and it began to move them into the sphere of movies and they started hanging out with movies and we were a television entity, a television show. And big guns would come through there, big directorial guns and I won't mention any of their names. But they were reaching out, Bob and Bert were reaching out, and Jack, come direct a show, come direct a show, come direct a show. They'd come over and they'd say, this is lame We don't want to do this. We don't want to direct TV. Are you nuts? And then they would leave. And so Easy Rider became kind of low-hanging fruit, and Bert said, go do Easy Rider. Here's this much money. And they took off, and Jack kind of was their overseer and helper. And... At that point, I think somewhere in there, total speculation, right? This is this is so we don't get sued. Oh no uh, one's listening,
0: Mike.
1: <laughs>
2: oh yeah. Well wait a minute, this cable goes. <laughs> Hold on a second. This cable's not plugged into anything. You told me this was a microphone. You bastard. I'm leaving. <laughs> Slam. Uh- don't ask me to come back in there, because I'm not going to come back in there. Not until you plug that microphone in. What a jerk. <laughs> okay, I'll come back.
0: <laughs> okay, I'm back. Bloody. I don't want to stop your story, by the way, but Mickey told us that Jerry Lewis came through. He was one of the guys that that, that came in that was that was toying with the idea of directing a couple of monkey episodes. And well, he didn't get it. He split. Mickey would know better than Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, but the, I don't know.
0: But the directors were that they were bringing through were deciding this wasn't for them. Pretty Yeah, much. They,
2: they 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 weren't. But here's 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 the point. The the, uh, the I think that they needed to shed the monkeys. I think they needed to get rid of the whole thing. So they decided that we will come up with a way to assist the monkey suicide, and we will put together enough that it will uh, basically we can kill this thing. And we'll just throw it off a bridge, literally, literally, and yeah. figuratively, yeah. and yeah. cinematically. Yeah. So they, they, uh, they. Jack called up and Bert, uh, I think, and said, "We're all going to go up to Ojai. We want we want to just talk into a microphone, smoke a bunch of dope, take a bunch of acid, tell some jokes, and see if we see if we can come up with an idea for a monkeys movie because we want to make a monkeys movie." So I thought, well, that, that sounds like a good time. We'll go up and do that. When we got up there, it, it wasn't. There was no focus as a writing meeting or anything like that. It wasn't – and they weren't after a movie. But Nicholson has this remarkable clarity, this insight, his ability. I mean he's, he is the funniest dope friend you can have. I mean he's hilarious. <laughs> and and, and when I, we, if, if Nicholson and I would sit around, smoke a joint – I mean I would start laughing then he would start laughing and we would laughing until we ran out of breath choked to death lay on the floor and get back up and do it all over again and so with that as a as a as a, a driver uh Jack and I um, uh, bonded in a way that was and and I and he took those tapes that we did and I started to watch as he put together the script and Jack put together the script now <clears throat> here's the Here's, here's a classic Jack Dope moment, I think. So, so <laughs> as, as, as drug riffs go, all right? So <clears throat> uh, he, uh, he, get, he gets back and he starts sweeping the pile together of the, of the tapes that he've, he's got. And he's coming up with various things and he's talking and Rafelson is writing it with him. And they, they are a writing team. And Raffelson has kind of taken the lead. Now is no fool. Raffelson's a very, very artistic and interesting man, just like J- Jack is. <laughs> and Jack and you're talking about this thing. And Jack and, and Bob actually tells this story, and he tells it great. I, I don't know where I I, I think I saw I, I think he's I think this story's on film somewhere. And he says uh, he says uh, um, we need to figure out how we're going to make this movie. How to make a movie out of this stuff? And Jack is saying, "Well, you just you just let it roll out and just kind of be what it is." I mean, we will start the whole thing on a bridge in L.A., and the monkeys will jump off the bridge and commit suicide. <laughs> and and Bob says, "Uh huh, uh huh." And Jack says, "It seems it seems like well, you're not paying attention to me." And Bob says, no, I'm, I'm really not. I, you know. And he said, what are, you, uh, what are you thinking about, Bob? says, I'm, I'm, I'm just think, I'm, I'm thinking dark. I'm thinking something re- really dark. And Jack says, what? What's dark? What do you mean? He says, I'm thinking of the darkest thing I can think of. And Jack said, and what would that be, Bob? And Bob said, Victor matures hair. And Jack said, that's it! That's the movie! It's Victor Mature's hair! Which, of course, is for me, I would have been on the floor if right. he said that. Right. Because it's Victor Mature's hair, as a basis for the monkeys movie, just is a funny riff, however you put it down. And that's the movie he wrote. Columbia Pictures presents The Monkeys. Mickey, Davey, Mike, Peter in Head. That's right, Head. What's it all about? Only Victor Mature's hairdresser knows for sure. Are you kidding? (laughs)
3: Looks like a nice guy and I like his smile. Go on, see if you can hit me just once, just once.
2: Is the most extraordinary adventure, western, comedy, love story, mystery, drama, musical, documentary, satire ever filmed? He wrote the movie of Victor Mature's hair. So, the fact that it comes as a as a suicide of the monkey, it, it was a you know, it was a. They did that on purpose. But the, but the basic thing is that it was a drug riff. Yeah. It was a dope riff. It was a fun, you know, everybody, everybody sits around totally smashed, and somebody starts, you know, where's John? Where's John? Oh, he's still trying to merge at the roundabout. I mean, it, you know, it turns into one of those one funny, dope story after another.
1: And, and I heard the reason they called it Head is so that they could make a sequel and say from the guys who gave you Head.
2: Well, <clears throat> I heard that, too. I think that's artifice. So I don't think they really did it
1: for that reason. Well, just agree with me. Uh, and they had their laundry with Hey, them. Gilbert, Gilbert, plug the microphone back in. I'll agree with you.
2: What good does it do for me to agree with you if the microphone goes to nothing? You said when I came back in here, you would plug it back in, and it is not plugged in. I can see that. I'm not an idiot. I spend a lot of time at Radio Shack. This is not plugged in.
0: It's also an anti-war film. I mean, it's it's, it's, (laughs) – It's a strange duck. The it's movie. a
2: really important movie, and it's an anti-war film.
0: Yes. <laughs> oh, well, it was an important movie. Now, plug in. There's a fascinating video of you online, by the way, at a, at a monkey's convention, discussing this with a, this young woman who wrote a thesis about head. Oh, god. Yeah, which is absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Uh, and you do a DV, Did you do a DVD commentary for the movie? Yeah. 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 Can't wait to hear that. <laughs> well, it's it's fluff. You oh, know, okay. <laughs> I just.
2: You just try to not scare the people with the DVD player at home, you know.
0: I was I was wondering if they were trying to do like Richard Lester made that film with Lennon, How I Won the War. If yeah. they were if they were trying to because this is an anti-war message in the film, what they were chasing, or it, as you say, they were just trying to kill the
2: no, the, kill the, off the, the message. Yeah, the message is you know the monkeys are a nuisance. Put them on the back of a trailer and let Victor Mature drive it off the lot. Wow!
1: And and this wasn't a hit. <laughs> <laughs>
2: No, no. As bizarre as that may be, yeah. as well, the, bizarre as that may seem,
1: it's the, got Blockbuster yeah. written all over
2: it. Yeah. Well, the no, series. That's
1: what I thought
0: <clears throat> it should also be pointed out that 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 monkey money was used to make Easy Rider and and Five Easy Pieces. Well, the money Rafelson.
2: that the the Bert and Bob made off the monkey. That's correct.
0: It's it's fascinating. Uh, and and the, the the series was canceled a couple of months before the movie. So you could make you could certainly make the argument that the mania was already dying. Oh, that the, it, it, the, that the it, writing it, it, was it already gone, on the wall.
2: Oh, well, listen, it, it had gone from mania to um, you know running for your life. I was dodging every bullet I could out there. It was it was not it was it was active. Kill these guys. We had turned into you know pariah, and for some reason, and it, not weird to understand, we were the we were the target of you guys sold out rock and roll you sold out everything it's you you did it you, it's your fault you come over here let me punch you in the nose and the whole arts community turned against the show turned against us as uh, actors turned against us as artists and performers and said no they can't come in here they they don't get to go and all the records stopped being played on fm radio and there was a wholesale walk away it's from so strange. Of well, it isn't strange when you think about it. You, have to, you just have to go back and reconstruct in your mind. I mean, we're 60 years away from it now, but reconstruct in your mind the Vietnam War, reconstruct in your mind the Beatles, reconstruct in your mind the assassination of Kennedy, reconstructing your mind the 60s. And you'll see that there was a whole motion to capture the art of the times into something authentic. And there was a feeling that the way the monkeys was put together was not authentic. Now it turns out, and history will prove that that's incorrect. It is what well, it was quite authentic. It was a perfect. That was the way you did it. That's the way they did Casablanca. Sure,
0: but <clears> he <throat> sold thirty-five million records in nineteen sixty-seven. It wasn't well, a fluke. Here, no, yeah, it was a fluke. And, and here
2: is this is a great podcast.
1: Plug this thing in because <laughs> I, I have something. I have something I want to say. <clears throat> 30- well, is this is a dress rehearsal. <laughs> yeah, we'll do the podcast. Yeah, but here's tomorrow.
2: <clears throat> This here's for the dress rehearsal, and you guys can take it out if you want to. You better not,
1: <laughs> <laughs> because
2: because I, I'm it, this is going in the book. But I'll give it to you. You know, months before the book comes out, if the book ever comes out. <laughs> so, <clears throat> thirty five million records is complete fabrication. Really, it's totally bogus. It is a class A mendacity. It's a lie. It's not true. We never sold 35 million records. And the reason I know this as such an absolute fact is because I made it up. And I told it to a guy in Australia as the
0: truth. And it's complete fiction. What about this idea that you outsold the Beatles and the Stones combined in 67?
2: Absolutely falsely.
0: Really? Absolute falsehood.
2: And what what happened was this I thought, <clears throat> how do we get our arms around this authenticity thing here? What are we doing genuine 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 schmenuine? I mean I don't know where this goes I can't as an artist this is a really important thing for me I got I, I have to do so I'm done with the monkeys I'm on in Australia doing rock and country rock and the stuff that I want to do and <clears throat> I'm watching the news and I'm thinking there's something wrong with the news there's something wrong with people in the news these are not. I'm not getting the truth here. This is weird. And I have an interview. I'm, sta- I'm on the roof of a hotel, uh, one of those pools on the roof of a hotel with this uh, stringer from the local newspaper, which is just local in like Sydney or Melbourne. It's a big big gun. And um, he comes and he says, well, I, I – and he's obviously got the press report. and He's I've got the press release. What he wants to do is he wants to write the press release and go home. Let me just put the press release in the paper. This is fine with us. I just need the twelve hundred words. And and it's so really nice to meet you. Take a couple of pictures, I'm out of here. I said, hang on a minute. And I said, I want to talk to you a little bit about press. And I want to talk to you a little about journalism. I want to talk to you a little bit about where you get your facts from and how are you coming up with stuff. If you're just printing press releases and stuff, this guy starts to squirm a little bit. And I said, because I tell you what's going to happen in this interview here. I'm going to lie to you. I'm going to tell you lies. And he he said, well, why are you going to do that? And I said, well, I'm just going to be interested to see what happens because I don't know what's going to – how these things come about. And from what I understand, you're an important writer and uh, opinion maker. I want to know. And he said, well, I'm very uncomfortable with this. I said, well, I suspect you would be. (laughs) And he said, well, well, if you're lying to me, how how will I know – how will I know if if you start telling me the truth? I said you won't. That's how that's how a lie works. You don't know whether somebody's lying to you. And he said, "Well, should we do the interview?" I said, "Yes, very definitely. Let's do the interview. Plug my microphone in." That's that's something a lot of people do to me. <laughs> I'm
0: following you around. I said. I said. <laughs> I said.
2: Like my microphone in. I got. I, I want to tell you. He says, "Well, <clears throat> is it true that you uh, read an ad for the paper uh, get I said, "Yeah." Uh-huh. He said, "Okay." And he gets more and more nervous because I'm just answering, just complete blank, flat. No, I have no tell because I don't play poker. And he, and he. So, um, <clears throat> you guys have uh, you've been uh, very successful recording, haven't you? And I said, "Yes, we really have. Have been very successful." Uh, and uh, did you? Your last record was gold. I said, "Oh, yeah, it was more than gold." I said, "They can't even really keep count because all we the high go, high, high that it goes is gold." He said, "Well, gold is uh, that's like 500,000. I mean, that. I said, "Well, but you see, you don't what you don't understand is there's a worldwide count. The last two records that we sold sold thirty-five million records." He said, really? I said, yeah. That, I said, you may not understand it, but that's more than the Beatles and the Stones combined. And he said,
3: <laughs> that's him
2: <in> writing. <laughs> He's writing it down. Really? And I said, yeah. More than the Beatles. I said, of course, nobody knows it because it, you know, people are stealing from us all the time and everything. But it's, it's, uh, it's huge. It's so much bigger than anybody knows. So next day, the thing goes in the paper. I read the paper. It says – and they've sold thirty five million records I what
0: yikes, look at this. He printed
2: it. The guy <laughs> yes. printed it. I can't believe this. He printed it, but I don't say a word. So this is years, years past. And now suddenly and having thirty-five million records. I went hold on, where was that? That's in the New York Times. Get out of here. That's in the New York Times. Incredible. This has become a meme before there are no memes. We're still in print. We don't we hadn't and and then the next thing you know it's it's on the air. And if you Google it today, if you Google it today, Google the the sacred sanctified search engine, guess what you'll read? (laughs) We sold 35 million records, more than the Beatles and the Stones combined. It's also I made it up! That's hilarious. And my mic was plugged in. My mic was plugged in. You have not stopped me, Godfrey. You have not stopped me. Try it, try it. I'll see you next gestalt. And I'm
1: giving you a watch that doesn't work. Listen to me. Listen to me. So so basically everything in this interview has been complete and utter bullshit. I'm not telling yeah. you. you can figure that out for yourself. Now, can I ask you the most important question to me? <laughs> <clears throat> do you remember working with Lon Chaney, Jr.? Well, I remember him, yeah. Yeah, tell us about Lon Chaney, Jr. Tell me. Frank doesn't care. <laughs> oh, but mm. I do. I grew up on Did hey, you? all his movies. I love Well,
2: I knew him when he was in his later days. I don't, you know, I have nothing to report there. I can make some stuff up, as yeah, you know. Please,
0: but <laughs> <laughs> It's all yeah. the reporter Should in I, Why stop now?
2: Well, first of all, he was extraordinary. The man was over seven feet tall. you hardly... <laughs> People don't know that. He was maybe seven one, seven two. 7'2". I mean, it was Kareem. You know and, I mean? The guy was giant.
1: And a spectacular but, ballet dancer,
2: I've heard. I had no idea. Yeah. I, I didn't know that. I didn't know. But I did wonder about the shoes. So that, was, that was weird. I thought maybe it was just an affectation because they were giant. You know, like
1: 13s, maybe 14 Ds. <laughs> So you worked with him and you don't remember a fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you're telling me. <laughs> well, we had a
2: lot of people come through. You know, we were all in our own world. Talk about celebrity psychosis. It's a real, it's a real.
0: Everybody came through. Stan up. Freeberg and, and yeah. Liberace and old. Yeah, hey. Hans Conrad.
2: Oh, well, I got stories about all of them. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well yeah. you did none of them true. Oh, some of them are. Yeah. Uh, you just don't know which ones. <laughs> no, I've given up already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. Now wait a minute. You
0: did have a story about Pat Paulson that you that you alluded to earlier. Well,
3: <laughs> let me see. Let me and see. And this if, is a yeah. true
2: story. Well, let's see if the plug goes back in on the microphone. We'll decide at that point how true it is. You keep trying to hide it, Gilbert, yeah. but you're not gonna do it. Yeah. I can see. I can see whether it's in or not. I have a sixth sense.
1: The mic is on. These are plugged into a cardboard box under the table. <laughs> Basically,
0: they're chocolate. They're not even real. By the way, that thirty-five million records—it's it's, also—it's well beyond the New York Times. It was in the VH1 Behind the Music Monkeys documentary. Oh, really? <laughs> it's everywhere. Cal Suprees. <laughs> And you made it up. Absolutely out of whole cloth. Incredible. Isn't it fun?
1: <laughs> Isn't that a great piece of news? <laughs> now, I heard, but which is probably bullshit, dude, yeah. as everything has been. And, and some is real, some is not. <laughs> and, of course, you don't have to answer honestly. I, I'll say. I, I... <laughs> that, When the monkeys, even after they had split up, when they'd get together for reunions, they would get together for, like, about five minutes. Uh, They'd feel good about each other, and then there'd be a major fight starting.
2: Um, That's kind of
1: true. Oh, oh, boy! I hit <laughs> you hit one. You hit a vein. Wow! <clears throat> I think we should stop. That- <laughs> yeah. That's the only. Quit while you're at it. You know, it was
2: collegial enough. It was not particularly convivial. It was, uh, you know, it was it was work for hire. I liked Mickey. I liked Peter. I liked him. You know, I've what. There was no animosity that I felt. I think David felt a lot of animosity for me because I was such a liar. <laughs>
1: No, that's a joke. That's a joke. That's a joke. That's not true. That's... <laughs> but so, so you're you were like you were like basically in business together, and uh, the way you. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think
2: it was. Um, uh, it wasn't so much business. We were just in a project together. You know, yeah. it's like being on a ball team and so forth. Yeah, that's right. It was. Uh, um, it was empty for me in a way because I didn't get to play or sing. I didn't get to do the stuff that I wanted to do. I couldn't write, you know. I, I went to Bob and Bert and said, "I have all these songs," and they said, "Oh, what's like what songs?" And I would play different drums and they'd say, "Oh, no, 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 that's not that's not a good song. That's a that's a bad song, and it's gonna not be a uh, it's not a pop song." I said, "Well, I know it's not a pop song, but I don't know how to write pop songs." And they said, "Well, then there's your problem, isn't it?" <clears throat> so. I didn't. It was it was empty for me in that particular way, where it was fulfilling. And this is this is true for sure. So plug the mic in. The the is that is that it is true that um, there was something about the fans that loved it, the people that really enjoyed it, that was very compelling to me. Is still very compelling to me. It's one of the reasons I'm you know go to these chiller conventions and stuff. There is a there's a reality to that. Talk about authentic. You know, you look in some of these people's eyes and they and they say to you, "You can't imagine what the monkeys have meant to me." It's a real thing. It's a real moment, and I get a chill when they do that. a real a, a real jolt. It's a, it, it it triggers a compassionate thing in me that I am so grateful for, and that kind of kept me going through those times when I went out and did the shows with uh, Mickey and Peter after David died. You know, kind of a memorial tour. Um, it was um, it was because of that. It was because of the uh, the crowds, and it was because of the uh, not just not just the applause, but uh, you know, it really meant something to them. So that redeemed it for me. I wasn't fulfilled as an artist with it, but they were fulfilled as fans and as television watchers. I knew as an artist that what they were seeing was uh, an artifice and was fabrication, but that was okay. They understood that social contract. I think. I don't think they ever felt ripped off like the people who were against it. I think they felt like this is a treasure. Now, when somebody who is nine years old says to you, this is a treasure, you tend to discount it. But that's where the treasures are buried, in those nine-year-old minds. And they see them as they grow up into the 89-year-olds. And you look at them you know, coming in in their walkers, and you, it's not funny anymore. It's not a, you don't ridicule them. It's sweet. So that was happening during that time. And, and that was what kept me going with it and still does. I mean still it makes me honor the event, honor the thing, and I honor it uh, for real. And that's the truth.
1: Yeah. Well, it, it is odd when you do anything in this business, you kind of like forget, like people are actually listening and mm-hmm. paying attention. Mm-hmm. And and then when they tell you, yes, I was listening and I did, you know, either laugh or uh, or sang along or anything, you know, it's like, it, it's surprising. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's
0: still a revelation to you after all these years that people I, come, because here we are at the Chiller Con and you've just spent the weekend meeting fans.
1: Yeah. And it's, it, still, it's st- still, I still yeah, because when, when I'm at something like this or people come up to me on the street and it's like, they say, oh, I, you know, still to this day, Like anything with problem child is like that. Totally panned Mm -hmm. and people everybody comes up to me and says, Oh my God, when I was a kid I saw that a hundred times and I loved it. Mm -hmm. And and they'll name stuff that I've totally forgotten about that they say meant something to Mm -hmm.
2: them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well that's what that is it. That's it. And it's and it's more important than probably any of us know. I mean, even the way you have said it and I've said it and so forth. There's probably a, such a deep current that runs there through all of us. I don't want to get all philosophical, but it is. It. it I have kids, you know, I raise kids, and anybody who has kids and watch them and and watches them like my kids did, they listen to West Side Story fifty five thousand times. That's oh, greater it. than the Beatles and the Stones combined. They listen. To- <laughs> 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 55,000 times Okay, well it wasn't 55,000 But it was a lot
1: And they loved it And that's the point (laughs) See, see, this is why We're not recording
0: Mike, before we wind down, let's talk talk a little bit about your other career. I gave
1: up on the interview at the beginning. Want to talk
0: about yourself for a while problem child?
1: Yeah. (laughs) So I remember John Ritter coming into my dressing room. (laughs) Hey, can I say something just to show off? It's your show. Yes, I'm going to show off now. Uh, Facing the Crowd was directed by Ilya Kazin. That's right, and uh, and it also starred Lee Remick, Walter Matthau, and Tony Franciosa.
2: That's right. Okay, who played the press agent that said, "I've always hated you. Don't you know that?" Oh gosh,
1: Ah uh, Peter Lorre. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's absolutely right. And if you don't believe that, then it was Karloff. <laughs> Because I remember Tony Franciosa. Yeah, I remember him in that. Yeah, saying to uh, he he makes a pass at uh, or sleeping with uh, Andy Griffith's girlfriend, and he gets mad at him, and he says, uh, you know, that they're stuck together. And Tony Tony Franciosa says to Andy Griffith, "You're in bed with me, lonesome in bed." <laughs> <laughs> Lonesome Roads. Yes. yes. Yeah. Right. Oh, I'm sorry. We have Mike Nesmith here. I think.
0: <laughs> I, I was going to ask Mike about his, his uh, in, you know, inventing uh, music videos. Listen, but
2: neither Gilbert nor I are going to let you get back on the internet. <laughs> All right, then. You can try. I'm just going to sit back and be entertained. Try, but it ain't going to happen. We're <laughs> not going there. We have other fish to fry now. <laughs>
1: We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast, but first a word from our sponsor. I heard with the first video you made, it made twenty-seven trillion dollars. <laughs> and <laughs> <Is> that... <laughs> a war, a world war, was started over. <laughs> it's as
2: true as anything you'll ever hear. <laughs>
1: You introduced George Harrison to the Maharishi, didn't you? That could have happened.
0: happened. Uh, tell us about the troubadour, at least in those days. I mean, it was where Lenny Bruce was, was busted for using the word schmuck. and Oh, it was? It was oh, you know, yeah. There was a lot of it. stuff. <laughs> you didn't know that either. No. I'm making that. this checked, shit up now, Mike. I checked that up.
2: Oh, it was fun. I mean, it was uh, it was uh, at the end of the folk era because the folk era had you know been shot in the head by uh, the Beatles and and it was uh, the whole rock and roll electric started that thing you know the start of that thing and the troubadour was a casualty but to its good uh, to its own good offices it, uh, it it changed with the times and there were some great players in there where I met a lot of really cool rock and roll guys and that's where I. First saw Linda play, and first saw um, first saw McGuinn play. <laughs> Roger came in. Just, he was Jim McGuinn then. Roger McGuinn of the Birds. Yeah, just yeah. for every that's right for anybody under fifty. Right. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> the um, the um, he came in one night. Uh, he, he he was a uh, he was doing session stuff, and he was really a great guitarist. We always loved him. He would just sometimes he'd just play, and he would go up there and he'd play Beatles songs and. And, stuff, and he'd get, get booed because the crowd was against it. And um, he became really uh, enamored with uh, spiritual religions and Eastern religions and so forth. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, Jim, uh, where are you? And said, is, there, is that a progression? He said, well, I'm, I'm going to get my spiritual name. Uh, my, me and my wife are going to get my spiritual name. And I can't remember what his wife's name was. It was a beautiful name, you know. Or something." And I said, wow, well. What what kind of names do you get? He said, I don't know. You you apply. I've applied to my guru, and I'm going to get my my name. name." I said, what? That's that's fascinating. So the next money comes in, and I said, it's none of my business, but did you get your name? He said, yeah, we did. I said, wow. Well, what are they? He said, Roger and Henrietta. (laughs) Really, Jim, you're changing your name to Roger. He said, I've changed my name to Roger. <laughs>
1: <clears throat> what he, he's telling me to end the interview.
2: Oh, oh, in the interview, you yes. Gotta button it up, gotta yes. put it Got a button. Oh, over yes. to you, Gilbert. Close yes. us out, get us out of here.
1: Okay,
0: <laughs> hey, wh- hey, one thing you, you smiled during the intro. Geez, <laughs> there was the mic, Smile. It doesn't matter. It's not matter. a real mic. You, you smiled during it's the intro when Run when DMC's cover of, of Mary Mary was mentioned. How, yeah. did you, how did you feel about that? I loved it. Yeah. I mean,
2: how would you feel about yeah. that? You know, I just, that's a supreme compliment. I mean, I, you know, you stay undercover. But anyway, take us home.
1: Now, you used to belong to the Manson family. Right? <laughs> that's an absolute lie. <clears throat> As was everything on this show. <laughs> And uh next we'll have next week we'll have our guest who is telling the truth and we will be recording. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. We barely me. scratched oh, the surface, Mike, but oh, yeah. no, we, we did. got we to had a lot of time.
3: stuff. Yeah.
1: yeah. And good. and every we've had a guest today, Mr. Mike Nesmith. <laughs> Who has told us absolute bullshit during this entire interview. I think, I think some of it was true. Yeah. You just don't know which part. So, so basically, this interview was like, well, some of it might be true. That's it. Some yeah. of it's real, some of it's not. Just like life. Yeah. So we've been talking to Michael Nesmith, who I think what may have been in The Monkees and his mother invented coca cola wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> okay so this is i'm gilbert godfrey are you sure about that <laughs> i not off. anymore <laughs> i don't fucking care anymore <laughs> 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 This is the strangest interview we've ever done,
0: <laughs> and we've done some wild ones.
1: Next week, we'll actually have a guest. <laughs> I think I'm Gilbert Gottfried, and I, and I think this is this has been Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. I think my co-host, Frank Santopadre, and I know my guest today... Is Mr. Michael Nesmith, who is at least ninety nine percent full of shit, <laughs> <laughs> but entertaining. <clears throat>
0: thanks, Mike. Thanks Thank for, you. D- thanks for doing it. My pleasure. Fun. Thank you.
2: Where do I plug this thing in?
3: <laughs> hey, hey, mercy. Plays a song and no one listens I need help I'm full. Little bit louder, tell us we can live without her now that we have listened to the band. Listen to the band.